0: finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Are the choices you're making with your money bringing you closer to the future you want or further away? We'll uncover the power of thinking like a breadwinner in this episode with author, journalist, and financial expert Jennifer Barrett.
1: You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur Come to game where we flip the script on the old-school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna. Here's Shauna money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado.
0: I am so, so happy to have you here for this episode. Now, I must say, this episode is slanted heavily in the female direction. But guys, this by no means means that you won't get a lot out of Jennifer's financial expertise that she's dishing. And if you got a lady in your life, send her this link to this episode because The inside cover of Jennifer Barrett's new book, Think Like a Breadwinner, says it all. Many women are still raised not to think like a breadwinner, but to marry one. But what if you were to start thinking like a breadwinner? How might that change the choices you make? It's so powerful. In this episode, we're getting down and dirty with Jennifer, who is the chief education officer at Acorns, a saving and investing app you probably have heard of and author of the new book, Think Like a Breadwinner. She's getting raw and sharing why thinking like a breadwinner will revolutionize your money and your life. On to the episode. We're going to talk a lot about your new book, Think Like a Breadwinner. And I just, I love that title. Uh, And I've thought a lot about the idea of being a breadwinner. We throw the term around a lot. And I've used it myself. I'm proud of being a breadwinner in my family. So this is something that's really personal to me. But I think it's really interesting for for women, being a breadwinner can be almost negative. Mm-hmm. You, you think of men as breadwinners, and it's like almost mandatory. But when a woman says, hey, I'm a breadwinner, there's this air that Things are maybe not just right about that. Like, how did this how did this happen where where women can't be the breadwinners or where it's looked down upon? I think that's a
2: great question. Where did it come from? And I think it really goes back. I mean, if you look at where the quote unquote conventional breadwinning model came from, it really came about in um, the mid 20th century, right? And at that point, uh, we were in a very different situation. Um, At that point, one income was enough to support a a family of four in a middle-class lifestyle. That is no longer the case. Um, At the time, you had women moving back out of the workforce who had jumped in during World War II, um, and men coming back en masse and moving into these (laughs) jobs. And so the the women's labor participation rate was quite low at the time, and and then on top of that, um, you know the marriage rate was higher than it is today. People got married younger, stayed married longer. Um, and so there are a number of things that just have shifted dramatically in the 70 years since. But one thing that has not, I would say, evolved <laughs> to um, to meet this new reality um, is, you know, culturally, I think our beliefs just have not quite caught up to the reality of today's demographics and the fact that um you know a record number of women are moving into the main breadwinner role you know in more than 40% of households with kids under 18 women are now the main or sole breadwinner um this is unprecedented yeah um and it is not likely to reverse i mean this sort of came into being over the last decade um, accelerated by the fact that so many men disproportionately, um, a disproportionate number of men lost their jobs in the last recession. So that really accelerated the trends, but then we didn't see it move back after. And I really think this trend is here to say, um, and we can talk about what's happening in the current pandemic, but I do believe that this um, this. Um, numbers we saw of women dropping out in this pandemic out of the workforce. I think that's just a temporary setback. I do think that this is a prevailing trend that we'll see. And and one of the things I talk about in the book is the fact that we really need to sort of catch up to this reality and number one, stop making women feel bad about stepping into this role. <laughs> and number two, preparing women better to be really successful in this role. So those are two critical things that I think we still need to, um, to make some serious progress on as a culture. And I hope that the this book sort of opens that conversation up and helps us uh, make some progress in those areas.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting, because I see a lot of polarities, like the, the fact that if we if we're talking about money, right? Statistic is something like 70% of women manage the money in the household. And yet, women aren't really educated about money enough. So I think and certainly not in the past. And it's those roles in the past have been well, the man handles the money obviously mm-hmm. why would why would the woman handle the money and you know we could see that sort of same thing with being a quote unquote breadwinner i mean i i love my mom to death she is in her upper 70s mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh you know when i was growing up i always was very passionate about career and had big dreams and wanted to do big things and she would have conversations with me about you know it's okay if you just want to stay at home and and be a mom. And I'm like, yeah, well, I know it's okay. I just don't feel that necessary calling for me, Mm -hmm. you know, per se. But it's really interesting, the generations, how my mom would look at me and she's like, why do you want to do all of these things? Like, why as a woman do you really want to do all these things? And I think it's just so fascinating what you were sharing about the different generations. And then we're at this point now where people have two, three, four, five jobs, and it's still not enough. And it's just, I think, a really interesting conversation.
2: Oh, I completely agree. I mean, you know, a, a two-income household is the norm where you have two parents in the household, and we also know that there is a record number of single moms today. I mean, one in four kids is being raised by a single mom. These are very new trends, I think, for this generation. In fact, there's a stat in my book that there are more single millennial moms than married. Um, wow. So that's very that's very new. Um, but I think to your point, when we talk about managing money, there's sort of two different Ways that that can be interpreted. And I really think that the cultural messaging that women get sort of reinforces these ideas still that our income is less important, that wealth building is not for us, and that we are more likely to manage the household budget than the investments. And you Mm -hmm. see this even in the research around how parents speak to their kids about money, if they speak to their kids at all about money. But when they do, you know, they are more likely to talk to their daughters still about how to shop smartly, how to budget well, and they're more likely to talk to their sons about how to build credit and how to invest to build wealth. And those are critical skills, not to play down, you know, the importance of budgeting, but budgeting is only one piece of the puzzle. If you are not also growing wealth, you are really at a disadvantage. And we see how that plays out when you step back and look at the overall research. You know, men have disproportionately more wealth than women do. If you look at a single woman has 32 cents on average to every dollar that a man has in wealth, that is wow. staggering to me. It is so much wider than the gender wage gap, which we tend to talk about a lot more and, and by almost any measure, women are still lagging men financially, and it is not a reflection of our capabilities. I think it is really a reflection of our cultural conditioning, that we don't see ourselves still as breadwinners. We don't see ourselves still as wealth builders, and we are more inclined to budget and to think about paying down debt and clipping coupons and being very careful with our money and saving it for a rainy day than we are to think from the get-go about building wealth to support all of the things that we want in our life, which is a much more expansive way to look at both our financial and professional capabilities and the possibilities for our lives. And that's really what I'm pushing with this book. And I, I think what happens a lot of times is we come out of these, this, you know, this cultural conditioning happens, we don't even uh, register it on on a conscious (laughs) level, but yet it will inform a lot of the choices that we make with our money. And it's only later oftentimes that we realize, you know, there's, how did I get here, right? How am I so dependent on my partner? Or, or why do I feel so vulnerable financially? Or, wait, was I supposed to be investing outside of retirement? No one ever gave me that memo, yeah. right? And how do right. I start now? And I, you know, I'm embarrassed to even ask questions about it. And so, you know, we, we need to sort of get over this one, this, the idea that women, you know, um, are not capable as breadwinners are not capable as investors or that they, they shouldn't expect to be in those roles because more so than ever we are, but also just thinking about, um, you know, how to prepare ourselves best to succeed as breadwinners, whether or not we're the breadwinner, you know, the main earner in, in a partnership, it almost doesn't matter. It's really about being able to, to take care of yourself and to know that you can provide yourself with the life that you want without needing to depend on someone else.
0: I love that a lot. Just a really quick point before we kind of move on. Something really jumped out at me when you were talking about wealth. When I was working full time as a, I'm a certified financial planner. When I was mm-hmm. working full time as a, as a planner with my father, we had a practice. And I would, we would work with people who had huge estates. Usually, men, almost always men. I should, I should preface that. And we'd walk in to give them a presentation, and the client would immediately start talking to my dad and wouldn't communicate with me. And my dad <sighs> would always be like, "Hey, you know, Shauna is actually the one who put this." together, like actually put your plan together (laughs) of how you're going to actually grow your wealth or whatever it might be. And there was always this moment of like befuddlement with the client of like, (laughs) but she's a woman, how could she possibly know how to put a wealth plan together? And I'm sure that so many women have stories like that, where you've been looked down on, especially if you are the breadwinner in your family. I I still know culturally that it's a weird thing. I know you you're the breadwinner in your family too. There's mm-hmm. this there's this weird moment where when you share that with someone and they're looking at you and your husband, it's kind of like, "Well, why why is that?" Mm-hmm. And I just I really wanted to speak to your to what you were saying about cultural shifts and I don't know how that happens. Maybe you know. But somehow that really needs to shift. And
2: I do think, I am hopeful that it will, and I do think um, that we've actually evolved quite a bit since I became the main breadwinner in my family um, almost a dozen years ago. And I have vivid recollections <laughs> of stepping <laughs> into that role. And I really did it consciously in the sense that I had my own wake-up call and realized that I really hadn't been saving and investing enough for the things that were really important to me, like being able to afford a second child, buying a home of our own, being able to stay in the city we loved, which is New York and, and is quite expensive, um, you know, not wanting to compromise on those things and, and then realizing that I didn't want to compromise on those things. And yet at the same time was putting most of the onus on my husband to make them happen. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and that really became very clear to me um, in in one kind of wake-up call moment in the middle of the night. And I started to look at what had driven my money decisions in my life because I really had thought I was doing okay financially. And then to feel as if these things that were so important to me were now suddenly could be at stake, right? Um, Left me feeling really vulnerable. And so I started taking very specific action and as a result did move into the primary breadwinner role. I took a job in management that was considerably more than I had been making previously. And I moved into that role when I was pregnant with our second son and, uh, and then I gave birth to him shortly after. And I just remember first, I didn't identify as a breadwinner initially. And I, I don't know what that was about, but it, I sort of thought, oh, I'm temporarily stepping into this role. But then it became clear to me that this was not necessarily a temporary arrangement. And I think what was challenging for me initially is that it bumped up against these, both the cultural expectations and my own expectations that perhaps I'd absorbed from my own child and and culturally um, about my role as a mom and what that meant. And my own mom had you know, stopped working for several years when I was a kid. And I hadn't planned to do that necessarily. But I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm going to step back a little bit, or I'll have the option to step back and maybe freelance or whatever. But I had sort of seen my career decelerating a little bit or, um, you know, even stepping out for a little while with the kids. And it became clear to me that that was not an option. And then it was a question of oh my gosh, how am I going to be the primary breadwinner and the <laughs> primary caregiver? Because I didn't want to let go of that last one. Um, I was really worried that um, that it would make me a bad mom if I prioritized breadwinning over caregiving, even in terms of how my time was split up. Um, it took me many years and a lot of research <laughs> to realize <laughs> that it's really about the quality of time you spend with your kids and not the quantity. There's tons of research around this and and tons of research around the benefits of kids with working moms. Um, I could go on and the benefits of dads being more involved in the parenting. So it, there, there's now a lot of research there to sort of um, counteract some of these concerns. And I have my own experience to fall back on. But initially, I think that was one of the biggest challenges. And then on top of that, as you mentioned, I would say to people, I remember saying to someone, Oh, I I I'm concerned about this because I'm the main breadwinner. I need to think about XYZ, whatever the conversation was. And I remember this reaction I got was something like, oh, Oh, you poor thing. And you're a mom of two young kids. How are you doing it? And I just, it was like this weird combination of pity and awe. Right, right. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know how I'm doing it. Number one, and then I'm just like, I'm making it work. Um, but then I just thought also, that's such an odd reaction because it wasn't about, wow, that's so cool imagine you have like, you have so much more agency over your life and like, you're able to provide all of these things. Like there are so many benefits to it. And and the conversation wasn't about that. And on top of that, the media that I was seeing when I, the headlines I was seeing when I first moved into that role were all very negative. It was like, if you become the main breadwinner, the chance of divorce goes up X amount. If the woman is the breadwinner, the man is more likely to cheat. It just went on and on (laughs) all these headlines. And I thought, Oh my God, You know, the combination of all of those things, really, as a woman, you start thinking, what am I doing? Is this worth it? You know, it it really muddles the conversation. And so one of the things I really wanted to do with this book after I had really dug into the research, because by the way, even that divorce story, what it really came down to was when the man was not picking up the fair share of household responsibilities, that's what increased the chance of divorce. If a woman was earning more and she felt like the man wasn't picking up a fair share of household responsibilities, that was what led to the divorce. If a man was picking up, you know, an equitable amount of responsibilities at home, it absolutely mitigated that effect. But that was not the headline. I I kept thinking, why is the focus not on that? Why is the focus on blaming the women for earning more when what she's doing is providing for her family? You know, why are we trying to make her feel guilty for that? And so I got really, um, really frustrated with that. And so (laughs) part of what I was trying to do in the book was say, like, let's look beyond these headlines here at the actual research. Because, um, you know, it's really easy to pay, to come to the wrong conclusions if you are only seeing, you know, some of these um, some of these kind of sensational headlines. And I do actually think the media coverage has shifted quite a bit in the last few years um, to reflect that this can be actually a really positive thing when a woman is the breadwinner. Um, now there are plenty of headlines showing how men are less stressed and happier when a woman is, yeah. you know, there's a lot of the pendulum is starting to swing the other way a little bit. Um, But I think we still have a little ways to go to say like, look, it's okay to not be the primary caregiver as a woman. That is okay. In fact, it's very beneficial for kids to be able, if you are partnered, to be able to split those responsibilities so that the kids have the opportunity to build those bonds with both parents and both parents have the opportunity to more fully experience both breadwinning and caregiving, you know, rather than pigeonholing. Um, you know, us in one role or the other because of our gender, um, and then also, you know, just looking at the reality that many women are single moms; they need to support their families. This isn't a a choice necessarily. <clears throat> and then on top of that, we know that more women are earning more money, and. You know, sometimes a man loses a job or he's not earning as much as he could, or maybe he picks a career path that is not as lucrative. And that should not necessarily be a bad thing either. I think we just have more choices altogether if we have both men and women really thinking like a breadwinner from the start and coming together you know, having already thought about how can I support the life I want on their own. And now they're coming together as a team and really making a financial plan together that can open up even more possibilities for them.
0: Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's monarchmone dot slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. Everyone knows that putting money aside and savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC we've got an Ask Shauna, and this one's from Beck and Robert, who say, We love listening to episodes together and then having chats about our money. You've helped us create a healthy dialogue to talk about tough subjects, and we often say, Well, what would Shauna say? So you're pretty much a part of our daily lives. Anyway, we started investing last year and saw that the president talked about increasing the capital gains tax rate, and we were wondering how this might impact us. We'd love your thoughts. And thanks for continuing the show. We'll both show up on your doorstep if you ever decide to stop. Seriously, the best money podcast out there. And it's not only fun to listen to, but you get us thinking and talking. Thanks. Well, Beck and Robert, (laughs) I love to hang out with you guys. I love to hang out with everybody. I think that's what's so much fun is that... I I, I want to create a podcast where it feels like we are we are just hanging out, and I truly am your biggest fan and your friend, and here to just dispense as much money advice, tips, knowledge, strategies, stories that I can, and hoping that you take little gems out here and there and use those in your own life, and that it really does transform your own life. So at the core, that is a hundred percent why I'm here, but this is a great question. So let's talk about capital gains taxes, especially since I know we have a lot of new investors listening to the show. This might just be a refresh for some of you, but it's good to kind of have this information in the back of your head. So there are two types of capital gains. We've got short-term and long-term. So short-term capital gains are if you sell an investment like stocks or a house within one year. And those are taxed at your current tax rate, whatever that is. But then we have long-term capital gains. And that's when you sell an investment, again, like stocks, a house, etc., after holding it for a year or longer. And that is where this discussion comes up about the increased capital gains tax rate. So current long-term capital gains taxes are 0%, 15%, and 20% depending on your taxable income. So you need to look at a tax chart to kind of see where you fall. However, the proposed rate change would jump to 39.6%. That's the 20% would go to 39.6%. And that's for households with an income over a million dollars a year. For most of us, this isn't an issue, since you can decide when you want to sell things like stocks or your house right you don't have to necessarily sell your stocks in a given year let's say you had a year where your income combined household income was over a million dollars maybe you chose not to sell an asset that particular year but most of us we might not even have combined household incomes even close to a million so that might not impact us the truth is that we don't quite know where exactly this is going to land. So at this point right now, it's not into law and it's just kind of conversation or talk. So if this is something where you feel like, "Mm, this might really impact me, it's a good time to have a conversation with your CPA, with a certified financial planner, so they can really look at your situation and give you good advice that pertains just to you. So I'm just kind of giving you The foundation here so that you can have a little food for thought. But again, this is something that's really particular per household. So you wanna make sure that you get that particular advice. I would say, particularly if your income is at one of those higher levels, your household income, and you are thinking about selling a house or selling a lot of stock, that would definitely, definitely be the time. That you want to talk to a certified financial planner and really create a strategy so that you can uh, do whatever you need to do and minimize as, as many taxes as humanly possible. We still got to all pay taxes, but minimize it as, as best as possible. So I hope that gave you a little food for thought. Uh, Beck and Robert, again, so excited to have you as listeners This is a great question. And if you are listening, you haven't asked Sean a question, go right to the link in the show notes, click over, type in your question. There are no bad questions. And if you'd rather remain anonymous, just let me know that as well. And happy to keep you anonymous. Yeah, I definitely feel like a fire in my belly during this conversation. <laughs> so I feel very passionate. So this. much of this, like, just really resonates with me, and and makes me your word frustrated. I think is a is a mild mild word to use. <laughs> uh, I, I'm curious because I'm sure that there's somebody listening who's in this situation, and I've seen it so many times. I'm sure you have too. Where maybe the the partner feels less validated in the relationship mm-hmm. if they aren't earning as much. How do you work or how do you counsel people on on balancing a relationship when maybe you are the the sole income earner in the family and the partner isn't? But you know, how can you create a partnership that is about more than just who makes what?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I interviewed a lot of couples in my book where the woman was the breadwinner, and they have very happy relationships because I really wanted to paint a picture of what that looks like and the kind of conversations that um, go on in those relationships. And I remember one in particular where she told me that her, um, her mom and other women in her family um, had not been particularly happy in their marriages, and she overheard them once talking about how they couldn't leave because they were so financially dependent on their spouse. And she said it it stuck in her mind. and she said to herself, "I don't ever want to be in a situation where the reason I'm staying is financial." And so she said one of the things um, that's happened because she picked you know, a more lucrative career because she was very careful from the get-go to sort of save and invest her money, so she's in very good shape financially. And she's been with someone and she is the main earner. They've been together for a long time. And she said, one of the joys of being the breadwinner is that she every day wakes up and knows that she's not staying for financial reasons. She's staying because there is so much more to their relationship. Um, And it allowed her, she felt like, to find a partner who fit her, who fit with her in many other ways, right? Because finances wasn't really the primary Um, Criteria when she was looking for a spouse, she was really looking for someone um, who, you know, was progressive and in her case, and who was excited to take a, a bigger role in the caregiving. They have two kids now. She was looking for someone who was creative. Um, thoughtful, was engaged, you know, with the world and politically and intelligent and all of these other things that weren't necessarily tied to how much he earned. Um, And I think that that to me was a really important insight. And I found that in my own relationship is, I realized that a lot of us as women, we think of being taken care of as being taken care of financially. Um, And so sometimes it means detaching financially from that term being taken care of um, and really looking at how else a partner can take care of you. The
0: million other ways, right? So many other
2: ways. And I think like in my own husband, he is one of the most caring people I have ever met. It struck me from the very beginning. And he was earning more when we first got together. But he has always been the type of person who is just... He's just so thoughtful. He just does little thoughtful things all day long, bringing you tea, or just is that kind of person who is always um, doing these sorts of things, and that, and and just being there, like hearing me and having these conversations, and the, where we really connect. Um, and I realized that for me, being taken care of meant those things. Like that was how valuable that was to me to have someone who really understood me and my needs, who um, was always trying to think a step ahead in those ways yeah, in terms yeah. of how do I take care of this family in other ways, someone who is there emotionally for me and, and physically for me. Um, and that is often kind of a big thing for men. He and I have talked about it because he likes to schlep the groceries, he likes to <laughs> schlep things. <laughs> and I once asked him, do you think maybe that's has anything to do with you know sort of reaffirming is there a masculinity piece to that? And he said, Oh, maybe, maybe there is something to that, like feeling like I can contribute in those ways too. I don't think it has to be physical though. I'm just saying like, yeah, it doesn't have to be financial. It really doesn't. And, and I think it did, it may have helped. This is just a theory, but it may have helped that, you know, he's a black belt in karate. He is, he is very, he's (laughs) very healthy physically. And he is someone who can like lift heavy things and take care of things around the house and stuff too. So in, in some ways he does fulfill some traditionally masculine, uh, roles, I suppose. Um, and, and maybe that plays into it too, that he is, he is really found other ways, but, but not all of them are, you know, traditionally masculine. I think it really is about, you know, you, each partner wants to be able to take care of the other one in certain ways. Right. But those ways don't have to be Gender specific or conventional, do you know what I mean? They can be a whole range of different things, um, and so I think that's the first piece of it. Because so often men, I know, you know, their identity can be wrapped up in their earnings, and so it can be difficult. So part of it is unraveling that and realizing that there's so much more to your identity, whether you're a woman or man, you know, than your income.
0: And I think what's so cool about that is the the like almost awakening that you each have that you don't need to necessarily play all the roles that, you know, these gender stereotypes, like there is, I think, a moment of release for each person of totally, we can create our own way of doing this. We don't have to be like everybody else. Let's just do what works for us. And I, I really want to empower everybody listening that whatever that means to you and your in your unit Really embrace that. Whether you're the breadwinner or not, doesn't matter. Like, let's lift it off of money because mm-hmm. a partnership is is way more than just the money piece.
2: One hundred percent. I could not agree more. I think we really, at this point, things are shifting so quickly. We don't necessarily have a model to look to. Certainly, my husband and I grew up in more conventional. Um, You know, with a more conventional breadwinning model, both of our dads were the main or or sole breadwinner for most of our childhood. So we didn't have a roadmap. And, And in a lot of ways, that was freeing because it really came down to, okay you know, let's look financially um, at what needs to be done, what needs to be done around the household, what needs to be, you know, what kind of childcare responsibilities do we have? And how do we break these up in a way that feels really fair and placed each of our strengths, by the way, and desires, you know, um, and really works for us versus relying on, um, you know, gendered expectations around this. Uh, And I think that was really powerful for us was like, what do we actually enjoy doing? Because I love... Managing the investments, I love it. (laughs) This is my jam. Um, So I'm happy to do that. Right. So it makes sense, and 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 that's allowing someone to do something that they have, um, you know, a natural desire and affinity for, and some, you know, and I have a lot of experience in that, rather than it being dictated by convention. And I think that's a really important point. Is really kind of if you remove convention for a moment and just look at. What are you naturally inclined to do? What do you, what do you want to do? What are you naturally more talented at and start from there? And then with the other tasks that remain, figure out like, okay, (laughs) how are we going to divvy these up or, or, you know, or outsource them, you know, however you want to deal with it. Um, but that, that to me is a much more enduring arrangement and one that, um, really allows each partner to, to thrive and feel like, um, you know, they're being valued for a range of, of talents and, and, uh skills that they bring to the relationship.
0: And you talked earlier about money steps if you're the breadwinner and and thinking about things differently, uh, building wealth, those types of things. What are some of the steps that you should think about as the breadwinner that should maybe be top of mind? Sure. I mean, it starts with your
2: income, right? Because that's the springboard for all your wealth building efforts. Um, And what that means really from the get-go, although it's never too late to kind of stop and and look at this um, very mindfully, is planning your career strategically in order to ensure the income you make will support the life and maybe the family that you want. Um, And then, of course, always negotiating to be sure you're earning the most you can in any role. And that really means um, doing some research to find out what people in your role in your area are earning on average, and all that data is is now available and kind of making sure you're at the top of that range. And then more than that, um, really focusing in your career, if you're in a career and not an entrepreneur, um, on the promotable work that will really help to advance your career and your income. Because research shows that women are much more likely to take on what's called office housework or other non-promotable work than men are. And that can really hold us back. I mean, obviously there are a lot of barriers um, that that many of us have to overcome as women in the workforce and certainly women of color, but this is something that we can control, right? The work that we take on and the work that we say no to. Um, And it really comes back to this idea of like, Career planning is not just about figuring out what it is you want to do and what you're talented at, right? It's also thinking about, will this career support the life that I want? Uh, First, financially, and then second, there are considerations around flexibility and other things to look at. But, But that financial piece is so important and a lot of times that's missing for women. So the data still shows that women disproportionately select the lowest paying majors and the lowest paying careers. And even in the highest paying fields, women will overwhelmingly select the lowest paying track Wow, this is—I mean, this is current research. Um, I had really thought that this might shift, but it's really not shifting in the way that I had um, had thought it might. So, I think we're still not thinking that way. We're not considering the income perhaps as much as we should. But it's also like you can apply the lens really to any aspect of your finances. So it's also really important to establish good credit, right? And often credit has been marketed to us as a means to close the gap between the life we can afford now and the life we aspire to, right? And that's a very, (laughs) it's a very dangerous cycle to get into. But if you're really thinking like a breadwinner, I mean, imagine or say you're coming out of You know, college or you're just starting your life. And one of the things that you probably think about is, I'm gonna want to buy a house one day, right? And in order to buy a house and get a good deal on it, you need to build your credit. And so it's a different way of looking at your credit. It's looking at how to build your wealth to le I mean, build your credit to leverage that credit to build your wealth. So you're building credit so you have the best credit score, so you get the best terms, for example, on a mortgage to buy a home that you believe will increase in value. That's leveraging credit to build wealth. That is key. And the other thing you can do is as you build your credit score, you get great offers on credit cards. If you are disciplined and pay it off each month, you can actually make money from credit cards, but you have to be really deliberate about this, right? And really think about it in a different way, you know, and same thing with, with investing. I mean, so often the prescription that women get is to, you know, get a career, get married, and save a little for a rainy day and for retirement. And that's it. And that is not sufficient to support the lives that we want. That really leaves out all the decades between whatever short-term goal we have and retirement. And and really to cover a lot of these big things, whether it's buying a home, starting a business, starting a family, you know, <laughs> traveling around the world, all of these things that cost more than one paycheck may help you pay for. You need to be saving and investing your money for those midterm goals. And, and that is not often a message that we get, but it is so critically important. If you want to be able to support the life that you want, you know, to have all these choices in your life throughout your life, it is important to become less dependent on your paycheck and really put your money to work growing for you by investing and saving it primarily investing right now. Cause you're not making a lot in savings. <laughs> But the more your money is working for you, the less you'll have to work for your money over time.
0: Yeah. And, you women just live longer. We live longer than men. We do. Five years on average. We just need more money. And so often, so much of the money is spent if we're in a traditional relationship with female, male. Uh, most of the money is spent caring for the male. This is just mm-hmm. statistics, and yeah. then women were kind of left like, oh, there's nothing left for us. So, really, I love that idea of having that breadwinner mindset of of thinking about it. And I'm curious. I feel like it just comes down what you were saying to 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 worth, to feeling worthy that we're worthy of the higher paying jobs. were yes. worthy of building investments. Yes. We're willful, and capable. We're worthy of all that. Yeah, and capable. <laughs> totally capable. And capable of Maybe that. more so.
2: I mean, we do, when you look at the research, women do better as investors than men do, if you look at all the fidelity research around that.
0: Huh, that's curious.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it tends to be because women hold their investments right. longer. We don't trade as often. So you save money on commissions. You're less likely to mistime the market. Um, and you're more likely to enjoy the benefits of overall market growth and pay less in taxes. We can get into more detail on that. But I actually think this, it's a very smart way to look at investing. Women tend to be more investors than traders.
0: Hmm, interesting. But there are exceptions. yes. Of course. Of course, there are exceptions to everything. And I, I want anybody listening to this to to understand that. But I think it's really important to talk about the female role as breadwinner because I'm reading your book. It just, it really did resonate with me because I, I feel very similar. I've had a very similar story and I've had definitely looks and all those things were talked about, about why would you even want to be the breadwinner? And mm. and then also equally, just like you saying, well, I love dealing with the money. I love yes. handling the money. I love the investments and thinking about wealth building. And my husband's like, just just tell me like bottom line, what all this means. <laughs> and if I need to sign somewhere, or he just doesn't, that's not his strength. Mm-hmm. And I just think what we're talking about is so powerful to, to, again, figure out what works in your family, and what works for you and not have to feel like you have to play by all these ro- these roles. And we've talked about so many stereotypes and, and myths in this episode. But what do you want somebody listening to walk away remembering when it when it comes to really thinking like a breadwinner like how can we start to make this shift today?
2: Sure. Well, I think the litmus test for me is always to ask are the choices I'm making with my money bringing me closer to the future I want or further away? So that's a good place to start. But I think one really important message is that we can do this. It's not It's not as complicated as it sounds to invest. I mean, literally, you can just invest in an S&P 500 index fund. You can literally Google that. (laughs) Open one, put some money into it. And, you know, that reflects 500 of the biggest stocks. Um, It's what's used, I don't need to tell you this, as an indicator for how the overall stock market is doing. And it has returned about 7 to 7.5% per year post-inflation. Um, over the past century. So if you did nothing else but put money into a fund like that and let it grow, um, that's a big step toward ensuring you're set up in the future to have the life that you want. Um, so it, I, I can't emphasize enough that this isn't about making major adjustments in your life or having to spend hours and hours researching stocks or teaching yourself, you know, all these things that that most of us never learned um, in school or from our own families. Um, It, it really just starts with, you know, putting a little bit of money into an investment account, making sure you have enough in your savings to cover you if you lose a job. So that's like three months of savings you want to work up to. It starts with looking at every check that you get as an opportunity to start building wealth and to become less dependent on the next check. You know, it's, it's the, this flip in mindset is really from one of what can I afford in my life to what do I want in my life? And what choices do I need to make with my money and career to support that?
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And that's really where it starts, is what do I want in my life? And what choices do I need to make with my money to support that?
0: I love that it's just that simple of a question. And yet we spend so much time not thinking about those things and doing all the things that we think we should do or that we have to do but I love that. Well, Jennifer, this has been such a great conversation. Tell everybody where they can go to connect with you. I know you're the chief education officer at Acorns, an app we talk about often that we love. You're also the author of this amazing new book, Think Like a Breadwinner. Tell everybody where they can find you and the book. Well,
2: thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And you can find out more about me and the book at jenniferbarrett.com. It's B-A-R-R-E-T-T.
0: This conversation really stuck with me. Again, as the breadwinner in my family, I'm always trying to think ahead and think about wealth building, but sometimes I can get lost in just having to be the breadwinner and it can be a little overwhelming. So I loved Jennifer's advice, (laughs) all of it. And I loved just having this conversation. So I'm hoping that it really resonated with you as well. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, share it with friends and family members that you feel really need to hear this message around being a breadwinner. And if you're looking for links to the episode guest and the episode sponsors, head right over to the show notes, and they'll be right there. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand
1: new episode. with a fresh new episode.